My message today is called, Let's Get Connected. As we enter Holy Week, commencing with on the, what the church ca- calendar calls Palm Sunday, and moving through the Last Supper and Gethsemane and the arrest, the beating, the crucifixion, it behooves us to slow down and do our best to connect with Jesus, not just the traditions or the holidays or the rituals, but to connect with Jesus through all of this. Yet it's virtually impossible, I believe, to match that same emotion, that true sense of loss, that overwhelming gloom and despair and rejection and loss that his own disciples experienced, let alone what Christ endured. We say all the time, Jesus died for my sins, just like it's a fact. We say He suffered and died. And we acknowledge that it happened, but we fail to connect emotionally and personally because the story has been told so many times. And we seem to be so far removed from the reality of it all. And yet Scripture implores us to connect with His suffering that we might truly know Him more. If you came in early today, you might have saw our memory verse up. It's from Philippians 3, verse 10. It says this. Paul is saying, his prayer, that I might know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings being conformed to His death. And yet I ask you, How are we to know the fellowship of His suffering and be conformed to His death if we don't interact with this experience each time? If it just becomes a ritual and we're having this service and we're doing this and we keep saying that Jesus died for our sins, how can we know Him more? We're invited to interact with that. When these words simply become facts that we state over and over again, there's a disconnect emotionally and spiritually, not only with Jesus, but also with His followers, people like you and I, that they could not escape the emotional scarring that they went through. They talk a lot of time the trauma that people went through. Imagine what the disciples and the followers went through. This robbery of their hope. This spiritual depletion at this darkest time in history. And while movies have been made and sermons have been preached, doing the best they can to help us to understand what it must have been like, we should never stop trying to touch the hem of this experience in a new way. It should be our constant desire to know the fellowship of His sufferings and be conformed to His death that we might fully receive and appreciate everything that He did for us to demonstrate perfect love. Therefore, with this goal in mind, I want to present to you a different perspective of tapping into some raw emotion, the dejected feelings that they felt, the true despair that His followers had succumbed to, 
It was experienced by everyone who followed Jesus in the original Passion Week. It's understood that we may never have to witness someone being arrested and beaten and crucified. However, there are still aspects of this experience that we may be able to relate to on a much smaller scale, but similar enough that it gets us emotionally engaged in the events once again. So today, please forgive my simplicity of this analogy and allow me to give you a modern-day analogy to help us connect at an emotional level that we may truly know the fellowship of His sufferings. One of the popular mainstays of our culture is the role that sports play in our lives. Now, few compete at a high level, but the vast majority of people still cling to a favorite team with which they still hold rooting interests, whether it's the Tigers or the Lions or the Red Wings or the Wolverines or the Spartans or anybody, it doesn't matter. There's just something special about identifying with the team for whatever reason. You become part of the fan base, which connects you to others. Together you become loyal in your support, and if your team is good and advances, you gain confidence. You might get a little kick in your step. You might get a little fanatic as you devote your attention and your time to following your team. Certainly there are some who go way over the top in their radical support. But that's part of the allure from this escape from life. To faithfully follow a team of your choice and to cheer them on to victory. At this time of year, there are many who follow March Madness, which is the college basketball championships that span three consecutive uh, weekends, culminating in an eventual championship game. I would bet that many people can relate to the feelings I'm about to share about following a favorite team as I have done. In fact, you guys know that Nancy and I went to Michigan State, so we followed them. I don't think we're fanatic, but we followed them. And uh, I get the place where now, because the games, especially basketball, are so tight, I can't watch them. They drive me nuts. I go crazy. And so the Michigan State had played a recent game, um, and I'm like, I can't watch it. I'm going to get out of the house. I'm going to go do something different. So I went and started, went, it was like, you know, 9 o'clock at night, 9.30 at night, and I went to Family Ferry, started, I started shopping. I got about, you know, 10, 15 minutes to kill. I can go back and find out who won the game, and that'd be great, but I just can't watch it. It's driving me nuts. So I go to Family Fair, and I walk through the aisle, and I run into someone, a friend of mine from the Lions stand. He goes, oh, did you hear the score? It's all tied up now. I said, no, I didn't hear it. So I went on, I saw him three eyes. I go, hey, it's going into overtime now. I said, you know that I left my house so I didn't have to deal with it, and now you're following me from aisle to aisle, give me the update on the score? I said, now it's overtime, and I'm already in the checkout line. Now I've got to go do something different so, until overtime is done. It was just it was like, ugh, I couldn't handle that. It's not that I didn't have faith in my team or whatever. I just I couldn't, ha- couldn't handle it. Well, some of you, may enjoy that stuff. Some of you might enjoy that intense moment where you never know what's going to happen at the end. And maybe I did in my younger days. I don't now. 
You might enjoy the nail-biting and the hand-wringing games that are decided at the buzzer. But I can honestly say that I have a hard time watching my favorite sports team when that happens. Now, everyone likes to see their team dominating, winning by a large margin, safely out in front with all the bounces and all the calls going your way. You can enjoy the game without stress, without nail-biting. You give high fives and chest bumps and head butts to anyone around you and fist bumps who are watching with you. It's part of that allure of coming together. You talk up your team. You start to brag a little bit. You cheer a little louder. You get a little more fanatic because your confidence tells you that victory is within sight. You jump on your team's, on your team's wave of momentum and ride it high and proud. You're not afraid to put it out there that your team is best. We're number one. Because in this moment, it's true you are number one. You're dominating. And this rush of emotion, of being part of the excitement of a winning team, is what draws people to this experience. I would bet that most of you had felt these feelings before at some level even if it was at your grandkids' soccer game or hockey match or baseball game. I believe at some level you can relate to this. Now, if you take that emotion and ramp it up a lot more, this wave, this wave of momentum and this gathering of people and this confidence in your team, that's exactly how the disciples were feeling as they traveled with Jesus. In fact, this was the buzz in the air and the sheer electricity of emotion that is described in what is called the triumphal entrance. When Jesus approached Jerusalem at the beginning of Passion Week. Think about it from the disciples' point of view. They had been with Jesus. They had seen Jesus turn water into wine. They had seen Him calm the storm, miraculously feed thousands of people, walk on water, defy the laws of nature, heal the sick, open the eyes of the blind, confound and frustrate the Pharisees, cast out demons, and even raise a man from the dead who had been in the tomb for four days. They were riding a wave of epic proportions. They were cheering louder than ever, becoming more fanatic and more sure that their Messiah was going to take the throne and free them from their oppression of the Romans. They were sure of the outcome, confident, looking forward to His next miracle, His next crowd-silencing sermon, His next sit-down talk with them. They were playing a role in the most victorious team ever. It was exhilarating. Their biggest problem was holding back all of His fans. Those who came to see Him and crowded around Him. Life indeed was good. It was very good. This is where their heads were, His followers. When they entered Jerusalem on what is now known as the triumphal entrance. Can you feel it? Can you relate to the building excitement and that wave of momentum? Can you connect to that passion? Let's pick up these events in Scripture. Matthew 21, verse 6. 
So the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them. They brought the donkey and the colt and laid their clothes on them and set him on them. What an exciting time to be part of. All of this fanfare with Jesus was now literally fulfilling prophecy with everything that he did. The prophets of old foretold of this very event in Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. It says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just in having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. Do you understand this? Just as we are all waiting for Jesus to part the eastern skies and return to earth, riding on the clouds as our Messiah and King of Kings, the Jews were waiting for their King to come riding on a donkey into Jerusalem. After all, when Solomon was made king, that is exactly how he entered Jerusalem, riding on a donkey. So now they see these prophecies of someone on the throne of David coming in riding on a donkey as their king. Here it was. It was actually happening. Can you imagine how wonderful it will feel for us knowing the truth, knowing the end of the story, when Jesus returns to fulfill His promise coming to us from on high to bring us home. That's what they were feeling, that their King was coming to deliver them. The time for them had finally come. They were cheering on their Messiah to soon take the throne and usher in His kingdom in all His glory. Can you feel the excitement? Matthew 21, verse 8. And a very great multitude spread their clothes on the road. Others cut down branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And now we see this fanatic craze of the fan base cheering for their king. They took the clothes off their backs and spread them on the road. They cut down palm branches and waved them and made a path for their king. Their enthusiasm was contagious. The collective energy was building on their shouts and their praises as it echoed throughout the streets. Verse 37 of Luke chapter 19. Then as he was drawing near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. The electric fervor was building. His disciples were riding high on this wave of emotion and passion. In fact, it had spread to all over. Everyone who was in the area, they were coming out of their homes as the growing crowd cheered and shouted praise. The camaraderie they felt as each person joined into this frenzy of emotion was powerful and joyous as they continued to cheer. In fact, their actions became a little too zealous for the Pharisees who were trying to retain control of the crowd. You know what I'm talking about. It's kind of like at a sporting contest where the fans take over the arena with their cheers and with their chants and with their power 
to the point that the opposing team can't even hear it one another as they communicate. This is exactly what was going on in the streets of Jerusalem. The praises for King Jesus were borderline getting out of control by all these fanatics. Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Luke 19, verse 39. And some of the Pharisees called to Him from the crowd, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. They're getting out of control. At this point, there was no stopping them. The praises were deafening as people shouted with joyful hearts for their long-promised Messiah who was finally here about to take the throne and drive out the oppression. They could not possibly hold back their emotion. Verse 40, But Jesus answered and said to them, I tell you that if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. Imagine being one of his disciples and hearing that response from Jesus. You've got to believe they knew it was possible. After all, Jesus had nearly defied every law of nature to this point. Of course, the rocks could cry out at any minute. After all, the wind and the sea obeys him. Why not the rocks? Anything could be possible with their leader out in front. Just knowing that nothing was impossible for him had to make the disciples feel invincible. What a feeling. What a moment. Can you begin to grasp that excitement? Isn't that how it feels to a certain extent when you're cheering on your team and everything is going your way? It's exhilarating. And you feel like there's no stopping you. But then, the other team seems to catch a few breaks. The ball begins to bounce their way. The calls suddenly begin to favor them. And the wave of momentum now goes in the opposite direction. And then, one of your players gets hurt. Another one fouls out. And the other team goes on a run and they look like they've become unstoppable now. You start to become anxious. You start to worry. You have a hard time watching. Simultaneously, your cheering dies down. As you suddenly consider that, you know what, maybe I might have made a fool of myself earlier cheering on my team. You realize that you might be embarrassed, rejected, and soundly defeated. You will have to eat your words. You will have to swallow your pride. You will have to step back and surrender. You're tempted to stop watching, to turn the channel, to focus on something else, anything as long as you don't have to watch your team suffer a humiliating defeat. On a much larger scale, this reversal of fortunes, from the highest of highs to the lowest of lows, is what the disciples experienced the closer that Jesus got to the cross. Over the next few days, the disciples would see a much more emotional Messiah responding with greater indignation against the Pharisees and the Sadducees, beginning with His cleansing of the temple and leading to Jesus' heart being broken before their very eyes 
as he shouts out the woes to the teachers of the law. These impassioned words connect us at a level so deep, showing how much Jesus truly wanted to save every one of them. But they couldn't see redemption when it was right in front of their faces. As we attempt to connect to this to Jesus' unbridled emotion here, let us see still how much He desires that all men and all women and all children be saved and come to Him. For He does not desire that any would perish. And yet, they do. Too many people still reject Jesus. In front of the multitudes, with the disciples right there, Jesus began what had to be a tearful and deeply emotional rebuke. Beginning in Matthew 23, verse 15. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you travel land and sea to win one proselyte. And when he is one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourselves. This is Jesus talking. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. Blind guides who strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, For you cleanse the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside they are full of extortion and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first cleanse the inside of the cup and the dish, that the outside of them may be clean also. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you are like whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautiful on the outward side but inside are full of dead man's bones and all uncleanness. Even so, you also outwardly appear righteous to men, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. You see, this wasn't a great and glorious time for Jesus. It might have been for His followers because they had a different king in mind. But Jesus' heart was breaking all the way into Jerusalem. He wept over the city of Jerusalem knowing that He came to die for the same people who were crucifying Him. Verse 29, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you build the tombs of the prophets and you adorn the monuments of the righteous. And say, if we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have been partakers with them in the blood of the prophets. You see what they're saying? I don't know why they killed all those prophets, but we would never have done it. Now Jesus, their Messiah, comes in and they're doing the exact same thing. Verse 31, Therefore you are witnesses against yourselves that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of your father's guilt. Serpents, brood of vipers, how can you escape the condemnation of hell? Therefore, indeed, I send you prophets, wise men, and scribes. Some of them you will kill and crucify. And some of them you will scourge in your synagogues and prosecute from city to city. 
that on you may come of the righteous blood shed on the earth. From the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. Assuredly, I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often have I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. Now I know this is hard to hear, these hard words of, of Jesus, but it was, Jesus was emotionally attached to His mission. He truly loved people and yet they killed Him. Can you connect to this emotion? Can you relate to how He suffered mentally and physically and emotionally? It literally broke Jesus' heart to know that the very people that He came to save were now blind to His love to the point that they were about to kill Him. We seldom take the time to even attempt to connect with Jesus on an emotional level. We talk about the torture and we talk about the whipping and the beating and the crucifixion. But if we considered how deep the emotional scars run as well, do we dare follow Paul's lead and asking how we could truly know the fellowship of His suffering and be conformed to His death. For if we do take this journey with Him, we will connect on a deeper level than we ever have done before. We will no longer talk about Jesus fanatically, but we will experience His sacrifice emotionally, which will affect how we spiritually connect to Jesus. Isn't that our goal? To know Him more? To identify with Christ? To identify with the cross? The cross was a weapon. It was an implement used to kill someone. That's what the cross was. To identify with the Passover lamb who went to the cross for our sins so that we might be redeemed by His blood shed on the cross. You see, it's not merely the shared story of what we believe by faith that connects us to our Savior. We must be invested in the truth. Are you willing to identify with Christ at a deeper level than you ever have done before? Then let us put ourselves in the place of another prophet, Isaiah. Those separated by centuries of time, our ever-present God allowed the prophet to connect to his Messiah at this deep emotional and spiritual level as well. Isaiah 53, verse 3, was given this prophecy of Jesus Christ many hundreds of years later. Notice the emotional level of connection. Isaiah 53, verse 3. He is despised. He is rejected by men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from Him. We couldn't watch. 
he was despised and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon Him. And by His stripes we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to His own way. And the Lord has laid on Him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed. He was afflicted. Yet He opened not His mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who will declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people he was stricken. And they made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord, it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in His hand. This is the sacrifice that was made for us. A magnificent and emotional and passionate and perfect life was intentionally and willingly laid down so that we could be redeemed, so that we could be forgiven and made whole and brought near and connected eternally to our Savior. Let us no longer mention the name of Jesus without being connected to His emotions. And the unbelievable and incomparable strength and devotion it took to demonstrate true love to us. Do you know what? We know that sin put Him on the cross. Do you know what kept Him on the cross? It wasn't the nails. It was His devotion. He could have called down legions of angels. He could have stepped off the cross as they tempted Him to do. And because of His love for us, He stayed on the cross. He saw it through to demonstrate true love for us. Despite the pain, despite the rejection, despite the emotional scars and beating, He did it for us. This is to be our focus this day. This is to demand our attention this week. This is Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. By faith and grace, let us truly connect with Him that we may know Him more. Heavenly Father, as we reflect on Your words today, in song, we pray that You would connect to us at the heart level. Let us know emotionally and passionately and mentally 
and experience the fellowship of your sufferings. We thank you for that perfect gift which is given to us. Let us be close to you in Jesus' name. Amen.